For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Welcome to another episode of Fertility Life Raft with me, Alice Rose. I had the absolute privilege of being part of the conversation I'm going to share with you now with a friend of mine who I've met through Instagram, the lovely Jen. And I asked her if she wouldn't mind if I got her and her lovely mum together, Eileen, and just really was a bit of a fly on the wall while they had a conversation about what it's been like for both of them to go through it because I know from conversations with my own parents and particularly my dad who always says to me what about the parents Um, (laughs) that going through this difficult journey to bringing home a baby doesn't just affect us It, it, it really does affect everyone around us and you know if we are lucky enough to have parents then they are absolutely going to be affected. What I loved about this conversation is that so many things came up which I had no idea were gonna were gonna surface. I really didn't know I didn't know Jen's background. I didn't really know the family context. So it was really great actually to just to just kind of sit back and let this one roll. I mean I pipe up I pipe up occasionally <laughs> but these these guys just just you know and that's that's the beauty of of having a a conversation with people who have known each other their whole lives you know and who have that mother-daughter bond but as you'll hear it hasn't always been an easy one for them and not just because of fertility stuff so I'm not going to talk for very long at all because this is a really juicy and long conversation which I didn't really want to edit very much at all so I've just kind of left it as as it was um, because there's just so much in there and what I would really love to happen is for people to maybe share this with their own parents and for those people to listen to it and hopefully feel a bit comforted that maybe they're feeling the same as Eileen um, and that it's really normal uh, to have all of the different difficult paths to navigate and I think that this is definitely more more conversations like this need to happen so I'm gonna just let this one roll now and I, I hope that you love it I'll see you at the end so we yes, are, creaky chairs oh, that's atmosphere. 
Um, sitting in your lovely kitchen. This is just so serendipitous, isn't it? Because it was just, I just texted you the other day and I was like, oh, I don't suppose you'd be up for this. Yeah. And you said... Of course. <laughs> as long as I could wear my gold lame tiara and pearls. Well, I'm disappointed. <laughs> well, sadly, there you go. Sadly underdressed. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I just happened to be visiting my in-laws who are only 15 minute drive away from you. That's amazing. So... Such it's, a small place as well, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on a working holiday, <laughs> which is rather nice. Um, it's really nice to meet you. And it's really nice to meet you. I know, I feel like I've known you for seven, eight well, months. Have you never get, met each other before? No. No. Uh-huh. no. But honestly, honestly, I, I really felt like I had met you already. Yes. And I didn't think it was no. going to be a weird well, thing at well, all to meet you. The problem is I sort of joke about being Alice's stalker <laughs> slash fangirl and now actually meeting her is now a bit like oh it's just you hi it's me, it's me. <laughs> so, so the novelty's yeah. worn off unfortunately That's very, yeah. very boring yeah. very ordinary um but yeah it's really really lovely to meet you both and to be able to just have the chance to sit down and have a chat over a really basic cake which i've brought around really really embarrassing any cake is good cake for me <laughs> <laughs> box standard vicky sponge but can't go wrong and we are just going to have, we were just talking just now before I hit record about the fact that we just want to be really unfiltered. And I haven't done this before. I haven't interviewed or chatted with a mother and daughter. Good and, luck. And <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, mother-daughter relationships can be really, um, what's the word? Fractious. Difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they can also be very pleasant to have around some of the time. <laughs> I think, to sort of put it in context, actually, for about 25 years, we didn't talk. Not really. We walked on eggshells around each other. Couldn't really have a civil word for more than about five minutes. Well, that's because you wanted the last word. No, I I wanted the last word. You know. Wow. (laughs) And so now, um, for the last 10, 15 years probably now, we've been super close. But we've kind of maintained that slightly unfiltered, very raw edge to our relationship, which I think is sort of why it's... It's honest. It's really genuine. There's there's no holds barred around us, um, and I think sometimes we do still have that occasional little clash. But underlying it is this deep love um, and understanding. Mm. I think for each other now, Absolutely. which yeah. I don't think we maybe felt for the first <laughs> twenty five no. years. Of I would have given her away quite easily <laughs> when she was younger. So this is a child who never slept through the night until she was well. Birthday's January, which was definitely her third Christmas. She was still getting up three or four times a night. And mm. it does become rather tiring. But I was—I so, also would answer back. Yeah. I was rude. I was stubborn. I, I did want the last word. And I, mm. I think like when you're living in that, uh, you don't realise it. But I think, sort of put that in context, we are not able to do this now because we've always had a beautiful relationship. Um, this is... This is, it's not new for us now, but this ability to sit was something I never thought when I was 18 I would ever have this relationship yeah. with my mum. So just sort of put in context, if we sound kind of this like 2.4 family and all that dynamic between us, it was never there really, was it, before? Not for all. No, it's true. You're very So right. just very to put true. this conversation in context, it's not possible because of 25 years plus the recent times of, of a history. It's uh, in spite of it, really. So... Mm. Why do you think that was? Do you think you're really similar? Do you think you're opposite? We are so similar Mm, in so many ways. That's the vibe of me. And and actually, to to look at as well, and my mum who died only a couple of years ago, we, for instance, we were walking through a 
a service station on a motorway, the three of us in a row, and this man walked past and went, oh, three peas in a pod, and just carried on walking. <laughs> and it was very obvious that we were, well, in Jen, Jen's case, grandma, mum, and her. Mm. Um, and I think probably we're all, we were all very, very similar. Yeah, my my grandma was always my person. She was the she was the worrier. Forever. She's a worrier. Um, and I'm I think, not a worrier though. Yeah, but I think so. I lost my dad when I was six, and I think that fundamentally changed you as a mum mm. and as a person because you had to, as you would say to me, mum had to become mum and dad. So I think you developed this inner strength and toughness and kind of I want to present strength to the world that I never naturally had, and I think that's why we're different. Is I think mm. that you have the ability more to go. This is me. Take me or leave me. Whereas I've grown up very much like, I want to impress, I'm, I'm please like me. I had that kind of need up until all the fertility stuff happened. And I think then I unraveled a lot about myself. And I think you've learnt oh, a little bit. I have well. to say, when the Instagram started, and I, I am of an age where Instagram is not, it's not on the forefront of my being. Um, and Jenny started posting things and I thought, I wouldn't have said that. Oh my God. Why on earth does she want the world to know this? This is so personal, so private. And I was absolutely beside myself that she was airing, basically the expression I would use, airing her dirty washing in public. Um, but the more I read, the more I understood, because I've never gone through IVF. I don't know anybody who has gone through IVF. So for me, it, all these initials, T, T, trying to, TTC, um, all these initials and things, and ICSI and whatever, it was a foreign language. So I, I, I didn't know any of what, what all this was, so there was a lot of Googling going on. But I learned a lot of what she'd gone through that she hadn't actually told me for whatever reason. Uh, I just found it was staggering and then the comments that people were making back and thinking well actually she's not the only one and then I realized actually it was almost like a self-counseling in a way that she was being open she was being honest probably for the first time in my life actually and and not not possibly making it easier because you weren't actually looking at somebody and you weren't speaking directly to somebody you were just and you're very eloquent when it comes to writing and also speaking, but your, your writing was very good. In part, very amusing, I have to say. I, I've looked forward to, to <laughs> your Instagram post. to say that. <laughs> and, and people have obviously read the same as I've read, understood a lot more about it because they've been going through it. But from a, a mum's point of view, when it's your child going through that, it's been very edifying to, to read uh, and to hear her and to, to see the photographs she's posted that I don't think... I mean, you put one photograph up the other day and I haven't seen it. And I thought, oh, I haven't seen that one. And it wasn't a very happy photograph. And so you've obviously had not happy photographs. There were other photographs there when um, you found out you were pregnant where you just looked like you'd won... Well, you had, in your mind, you had won the lottery. Mm. And, and the look of the, just comparing the two photographs, oh my goodness, is this the same child? And it really has put it into perspective for me. And I look, for, I, I kind of look forward to it 
reading the next update um, just to find out what's going on. And but I think it's changed the way that you respond to me as well, mm. knowing the truth a bit more behind the smile and the it's fine. Mm. And I think actually our relationship is very genuine now and very open and honest in a way that it would never have been because that just... I would never have let the guard down unless I was in that position where I kind of got to the point where I had no option but to let it down because it was too hard to pretend anymore. So I think the way that you respond to me now is with much more empathy and understanding than I maybe perceived there being beforehand. And I also think too that having read the responses when you you write your Instagram post, the responses that you get, the number of people who reply, and of course it's only ones who can be bothered who to reply that <laughs> not everybody replies. A lot of people are reading it, but they're mm-hmm. not responding. But the number of people who've said, gosh, um, that's just how I felt. I'm glad I'm not the only one who feels that. I thought I was the only one who was feeling like that. So mm-hmm. in a way, if it's helped, if it's, if you like, self-counselling is how I call it. If it's self-counselled you, you, I think, have also worked as a counsellor for other people who maybe haven't had that opportunity to to speak to people or, or to write it down and, and say, this is how I'm feeling, it's not good, or it's great and then it's bad, um, I don't know what to expect, and you've actually basically bared your soul, and you've told it, as the expression goes, warts and all. Mm. Um, I don't have warts, by the way. Well, no, but that's what the <laughs> expression is. In the context of this no, no, discussion, no. I okay, just want to put enough. it out there. Okay, yeah, okay, fair enough, maybe <laughs> that wasn't no the best point. one. At no point will yeah. we use that expression again, thanks, Mum. <laughs> Can I ask, so... Jen, I know your story, but for people who don't, would you just share what's happened so far? Sure. And at what point did you start telling your mum what was going mm. on? Was it right from the start? So we got married just over three years ago. And <clears throat> I always get a little embarrassed this, but we did start trying slightly before the wedding because I'd always <laughs> known <laughs> there may be <laughs> la la. That's <laughs> all right, I'm broad, broad-minded. So um, back in 2007, I had a laparoscopy to remove endometriosis and was told back then, you know, if you want to have children, don't hang around. So sort of fast forward nine years, um, various changes in relationship status, etc. And uh, yeah, so we were trying. I was trying to actually think when I told you we were struggling and I don't actually remember that conversation with Um, you. I can remember it exactly. I was sitting at the dining room table and doing, I can't remember what I was doing, some paperwork of some sort I was sitting there and you rang and you told me you'd just been to see the consultant that's the very first time that you actually I mean I knew about the 2000 and way back when it was um but I've always said to to both of my children I I need at least nine months notice if I'm going to be a grandmother because I need to prepare for this I'm I'm not really old enough and you know the usual excuses of gosh can I really do this (laughs) and you did you rang me and you said I've just been to see um the doctor Mm -hmm. and uh, at the clinic and you told me then exactly what had gone on okay so what had happened is after only six months of trying I soon realized that actually this wasn't particularly a normal situation and with my age I'm 38 um now so 35 I knew I was borderline those are the good years as it were and so I went to see my GP initially and, and sort of said oh, you know things haven't really been going as we want and rather than sending me away she took a look through my history which I was really grateful for and she said look I think it would be a good idea to go and get a referral so I was initially referred on the NHS and fast forward a little bit put on to Clomid 
Um, <clears throat> Clomid literally made me want to drive my car into a tree. And I, I don't say that to be a, for effect. It was, I was driving back from work and I thought, I wonder what it would be like to end this all and drive my car into a tree. And there was no rationale behind that. That was purely this reaction I'd had to the drug. And I got back home, which is about two minutes down the road, luckily, no more trees in sight. But um, I, I phoned the clinic straight away and I just said, I've just felt like this. And she said, I've had two other women report suicidal tendencies whilst on this drug. And this is just the clinic um, local to us. And I said, well, I think I'm going to report myself as a third and I'm going to come off this drug. I don't think it agrees with me at all. And so she luckily supported me in that and was like, no, okay, that's absolutely fine. We'll try um, a different route. So I was referred then to see an NHS consultant. And somewhere in between, it didn't feel quite right. I wasn't very happy with the fact that I'd been on this Clomid. I wasn't very happy with, with how it was going. So I paid actually to go for a private consultation with my local, um, it can be a private clinic, but they also do NHS. So I paid to see the consultant there. And she said, you need IVF and you need it now. Um, I don't know why they put you on Clomid. You have no history of needing to be on this drug. You're ovulating regularly. I don't understand their decision. I don't want you to go back to them. I want you to come under my care on the NHS. And she fast-tracked me to the top of the list. And some people have told her, oh, you're so lucky. And I'm like, no. In, in healthcare, you do not want to be fast-forwarded to the top of the list because you know that you're then at high risk of it not working or being sort of at the end of your shelf life. Serious, yeah. And, um, and so at that point then we very quickly started IVF and the first collection we had, I overperformed for the AMH levels I have and ended up with three viable embryos, put one in that was an A grade and within seven days I was bleeding and my mum was there. I Do you want to take over for yeah. that little bit? Um, Mr R, when Jen, Jen's husband was away for the weekend and I said, do you want me there? Do you want me to keep company? No, no, I'll be fine. I'll be absolutely fine. And, and in the back of my mind, I just thought, if anything goes wrong, she's going to be stuck in the house all on her own. This isn't very sensible. So in good old mum fashion, I went down and spent the weekend doing the ironing. And on the Sunday afternoon, Mr R was due back in about an hour and a half. And Jen went to the toilet. And all I could hear was this most awful howling awful noise as she'd started to bleed and she came in and she was just in floods of tears and I mean what 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 could I do but just put my arms around her and just hold on there's nothing you can say to console somebody who's built up and built up and built up that this actually could be what they've been waiting for and there's just nothing it's just not worked it's it's all gone wrong and we just didn't know what to do. The clinic hadn't really left any instructions of what to do in effect of this not working. It was a weekend. And I'm afraid I chickened out when I knew that Mr R was two minutes down the road. I said, I think I ought to go now and leave you together. But you weren't for telling him straight away. No. You didn't and want I, to I tell him. I think I wanted you to stay. But I'm too proud at that point. I would never have sort of begged mum to stay. If you'd but you said, should have stayed. But it's very, it's very hard to admit how broken you are in that instant. You wouldn't have known how bad I was feeling because I just said, no, no, that's fine, off you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell him eventually, not right away. And 
I was desperate for you to stay and to know, somehow be in my mind and know that I needed you there. But I just assumed that the person you really would want would be your husband, not me. When you're ill, you want your mummy. I think, and I'm so privileged, obviously losing my dad so young, I'm so privileged I do now have a relationship with you. And I know there are people in this situation that don't have parents to turn to or that sort of person who's in, in place of parent. And, and I think there's nobody quite like your mum or that person in that situation. However much you adore your husband, sometimes when you're yes. ill or struggling, you just want your but parent. But I, I felt I would be intruding on what was a very personal moment. And that's why I went. He was at the bottom of the road when I drove out and we, we exchanged pleasantries, but I daren't tell him because I didn't want to tell him. I was a bit, I suppose, chicken. And um, it's not my place. It, this, is, this is such a personal... Being pregnant is, is not between three people. It's between... Well, it can be between three people, but in this, in this instance, it was two people. Yeah. And... and, and I wasn't one of those two. So for me, although all I wanted to do was to, you know, make things better for you and I couldn't, I didn't really think for me the place was in your sitting room when your husband walked in the so door. Just, I did, we did warn Alice we might kind of pull things to pieces a bit, but in, in one sentence there you've said I was too chicken to stay and then you've justified it by going, I didn't think it was my place. So what's the actual truth? Were you just too frightened to be there? Or no, did you just no, think it I was No, I think it wasn't my place. It, well, it, I didn't think it was right that I should tell your husband what had happened. Um, because you'd said, I will tell him when I'm ready. And I didn't want him to walk in the door and say, this has happened. But Why? Because you'd said you would tell him in your own time. Okay. And, and that wasn't my place then to say to him what had happened. Um, was I too chicken? No, I think it was just I wasn't the right person to be there, okay. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously now I realise I was. But I would have felt like a spare part. I yeah. really would have. I would have felt really uncomfortable, I think, if the I'd been there. And, 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 and I don't know what you did, whether you burst into tears when he walked in the door or I, I don't know because I wasn't there mm. but I know what I would have done I would have burst into tears I'd have thrown my arms around my husband and said it's all gone wrong it's all failed or have you have you met Mr R no <laughs> he's not but, very emotional but he? but he he isn't but he shows his emotions in different ways mm. I mean he's he's not one who'd burst into tears along with you but he would say something and and I would just feel I was looking in on something that was really personal and that's why I went. It just mm. wasn't, for me, it wasn't the right place for me to be. Mm. And what happened then? Did you tell him uh, straight away? Or? I waited about half an hour and, and then I just underplayed it. And I said, oh, it hasn't worked. You know, I'm bleeding and um, yeah, I'll phone the clinic tomorrow. And I managed to kind of be, <laughs> in first words, I managed to be fine. I managed to be fine. So... Um. So you waited about half an hour and then you underplayed it. Yeah, and massively just sort of told him, yeah, I'm fine and I'll handle it and I'll cope. And Because that was very much then my default setting. Do not let the world see your weakness. Um, I've, I've analysed that many times with a counsellor. And um, when you say the world, that included your husband? Everyone. At that, at that point? Everyone. I didn't beg my mum to stay. So how much I'll sit here and go, but why didn't you stay? Ultimately, if I'd said to you, mummy, I really want you here. I'd have stayed. 100% but I think it's that inability to let down that I'm fine persona that you presented 
unknowingly, really. Um, and and I, I saw a counsellor um, who specialised in fertility and we, we worked on breaking down that barrier, which is how I'm kind of in the position I am now. So we won't fast forward through though. Um, but yeah, it, it did take a while for me to, to be truthful with even my husband about things um, because it's not, it wasn't natural to be honest and truthful. Um, yeah. So that happened, when was that? That was last summer. Okay. Last summer, about mm. 13 months ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you had your failed round and that was the first round. Yes. And then we had two frozen ones remaining. And in actually exactly a year ago, mm. I started my injections from medicated FET. So FET, the acronym, go on. Something um, frozen embryo transfer. Good, very good. Very good. Yes. So we, we were booked then for the FET at the very start of September, and we had both embryos transferred, and one of them miraculously implanted. Um, so I tested early, as I want to do. I'm the patient. Everybody does, don't they? Come no, on, not not really? No, no, I'm really. Not How can you not? I'm oh. completely different. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh. a 50 50 split, I think, on who really? would test early during the two week wait. Oh gosh, I couldn't wait. I just want to know. I'd be itching to know. Yeah, so I tested and got the positive on the Monday, went into work and was like, got a little secret, no one knows. Same on the Tuesday, had a bit of what I now find out was implantation bleeding, didn't think anything of it, was so excited. Um, I'd already sort of woken up Mr. R the moment I got the positive test. I was like, is there a line? Is there a line? He's like, honey, it's half past five. Go away. I was like, but is there a line? And yes, there's a line. And then he went back to sleep. So <laughs> that's the level of emotion we're dealing with there. Um, I can't remember when I told you. What you actually did was I got up in the morning and there was a, a text or a WhatsApp or something that had been deleted. And so I said, what have you deleted? And... You sent me the photograph of the pregnancy test, and then you said, "But it didn't work. I'm now bleeding." Mm, okay. that, was, that was that was how I found out. So that must have been about three days later, because yeah. after the positive test, I started bleeding, and I'm not talking implantation bleeding. I'm talking full-on period. Oh dear, it's all over. This is horrible. How horrid to get my hopes up and then have it all end. And so I was then um, down to a GP who confirmed the pregnancy through the test. And they said, oh, just go and rest. Just go and lie down, rest. So I was signed off work for a, a few days. And then I started bleeding so heavily that I started to feel unwell. And I had aches and I was shivering and I was very pale. And I thought, this isn't right. So I then phoned my clinic who said, oh, look, we're really worried actually about this. We're going to refer you to the EPU. Early Acronym. pregnancy unit. She's good. <laughs> she catches on, you see. And so for that trip... You I were came, there. I, I came with you, and I have to say, she looked so poorly. I looked absolutely dreadful. And I think one of the worst things was, and I can understand why, because all the facilities are in the same place, but the early pregnancy unit, to get to it, um, was in a clinic. But the antenatal clinic, you had to walk past EPU to get to antenatal. So the whole of the time we were sitting there, there were very large pregnant ladies walking backwards and forwards with their prams, with their buggies, three or four screaming children. And it was the last thing when you're going through something like Jen was going through is to see 
pregnant women. I understand it had to be there because that's where all the consultants were, it's where the, all the ultrasound was, but it could have been in a closed room at the waiting area. It was just not very nice, was it? No. And so... And also knowing everybody else who was there in that little waiting room was going through or had gone through something similar. And, and that was... Uh, I don't know, you can't have a waiting room per person, but it wasn't wasn't very well thought out, I don't think. No, I think it does make a difficult situation harder, and I think a lot of people would, would be aware of that. So rather than me talk through the EPU experience, because I would think a lot of people that are listening to this possibly have experience of that, or people will have spoken about it in the past. Do you want to talk about it, Mum, from your perspective as being a parent, mm. being with me in that EPU? So obviously well, I, the, the I, I, geographical I, location yeah. of it, but from actually going into that room, mm. so I'm sort of legs akimbo and... Well, I, I actually asked, could I come with you? And you said, well, well, yes. And the, the sonographer said, yes, but there's going to be, you know, personal bits where this probe's going to go. And you went, well, you know, I've shown the bits to so many people already. And my mother, it's not going to make any difference. And, and, and I have to explain here, in my earlier days, I was a radiographer and ultrasound was just... It was just being invented, really, when I was working. So I had a... A rough idea of what I was well I knew what I was looking at and and when the probe went on to to the, your, your stomach and and the, there was your uterus and there was this thing I thought my god she's still pregnant and just it, it wasn't actually on my stomach it was up inside my well, foofy yes all right <laughs> that is a technical term which I'm sure lots of people understand but but there was this embryo and I thought, my goodness, how on earth has that survived? Because you were really bleeding quite a lot and were quite poorly. But you were, it was the right size for the date. And then we went through, through the back, uh, then into to speak to a, a sister, I think she was, mm. who said, yes, everything's looking fine. Don't worry about the bleeding. And actually the sonographer said one of the radiographers had just had a baby and had bled heavily the whole time through, which I'm sure made you feel a lot more... Cheerful. I, I felt really positive after that. Did did you get that sense? Because I think you've said to me since that you were I wasn't entirely at all convinced. positive. I, I I from the minute you started to say you were bleeding heavily, I had no expectation it was going to turn into anything other than heartbreak. Which you never said to me. Well, at the why time. would I? Why no. would I say it to you? Because, because I want to be encouraging and, and and saying, well, yeah, it's all looking good and and try to join you along. It's quite sort of false positive, though. So of course think... it is. But if I'd said to you, oh, it doesn't look very good, dear. Looks like you know, it's, you're, you're bleeding like this. It's not helping your your mental state. So do you? So think I was that day by day mental boost was more important than the long term devastation of the inevitable miscarriage. I don't think it would have made any difference, to be honest. Okay. I don't think for you it would have made any difference. And that's, that's not a criticism. Just no, I think if I'd said to you, I don't think this is very good that it would have made any difference to your outcome, mental outcome at the end of it. But then they, they said we had to go back again. And we went back again. And Mr R wasn't able to, to go. He had commitments at work. So that we went to the EPU. Same, same procedure. And the sonographer said, oh, it's small for dates. Don't think it's grown much but didn't say anything. And again, we went back to see the sister and the sister didn't say anything. And I think in retrospect, she was wrong. She should have said, look, Jen, this isn't growing very fast. It's not 
as big as we would have expected. But her last words for me are, you're pregnant, go away and enjoy it. Yeah, she, yes, you were. You <laughs> was were, literally you were, the word But you were said. still pregnant. Mm. And the arrangement was that you and Mr R would go in on the Monday. This was on Thursday or Friday. Mm-hmm. Friday, I think it was. And I said, oh, well, it won't be me for sure. You know, he's definitely going to be here. Um, and that was it. But then when you went to the clinic, after you lost the baby um, and you went to the clinic, it was almost like, well, didn't they tell you? We, the report more or less said, mm, didn't it, that so it was? We went in thinking we were going to hear a heartbeat. So Mr R came with me and they were like, sorry, Jen, there's nothing there. And that was the phrase that was used. And I just felt completely blindsided because I just had positive, 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 positive. And I think I'd have probably hated you for being realistic and kind of negative, negative about the mm. whole situation. But in a way, I do think it possibly would have lessened that shock. If you said, look, Jen, I've got experience of this. I just, I just am worried for Don't you. Don't have a good feeling. And yeah. kind of instead of that, this is going to be great and and that day-to-day boost and I do understand entirely what you're saying and why you would for me I just think nobody told me to prepare for this occasion I genuinely thought on that Monday I was going to hear a baby's heartbeat and to suddenly just told you know and you've got nothing on from the waist down there's no dignity there it's not like let's get dressed and then we'll talk it's like you're lying there and they go yeah there's nothing there I can't find anything and I just remember feeling like the stupidest person in the world because nobody had told me that nobody had given me any suggestion that this wasn't going to be fine and in fact they told the stories to to mum and to me this happens this can this can be fine and but I think the whole thing though isn't it with IVF that they're trying to be positive all the time I mean nobody really has ever said well you know the odds are really really low that this is going to happen and and but in this the EPU, what, don't forget, it's not IVF related. The EPU no. is general. So yeah. these are people that are dealing with any realm of pregnancy, whether it's mm. IVF, ICSI, natural pregnancies. They're not, they're not in that like, come on guys, let's think positive thoughts. There's mm. none of that. It's just their job is to be realistic. But she would have um, been, I think that the, the sister who we saw on the second visit, if she'd said, look, it's not really growing as well as we expect. And the fact that you've been bleeding this could be bad news, mm. but let's keep our fingers crossed and we'll see you on Monday or whenever the next appointment was. I think that would have been a lot more helpful mm. because even though she'd said it's not... It was still there because we saw it on the scan. And yes, it was smaller than they expected. But you could have mentally prepared slightly, I'm mm. sure, for the bad news that you then ultimately got. And yeah. nobody gave you that that um, and how did that make you feel that you kind of had this deep down thought that it wasn't going to work but the medical professionals were telling me to keep hope how well, did you uh, feel in that in that sort of dilemma between it was difficult because I just thought this isn't right you don't normally bleed like this when you're pregnant not most people don't anyway so for me it wasn't looking good and but as your mum I'm mummy hen looks after her chickens and all I wanted was my chicken to be okay and if being pregnant was okay then that's what I wanted for you I wanted you to be pregnant and and for it all to go well but in my heart of hearts I knew it wasn't going to work Mm. I I knew that was not going to come into practice again it's kind of that pattern of your protecting you 
and your reluctance to be the bearer of bad news and to be the one that kind of breaks my heart as it were and kind of put up with that awkward tension which may have come between us you kind of in a way did the same as when the first cycle but is that you kind of just kind of distanced yourself from it but because you it wasn't your me? place would you have believed anything I'd said about if I'd said to you Jen this isn't really going at all well it's in my experience this doesn't happen because you can google it you can google it till the cows come <laughs> home and there will always be somebody yeah. who has bled heavily all these yeah. mums nets or whatever they call them websites mums nets <laughs> well you know <laughs> so people on the fishing bank <laughs> well whatever it's called where, where these these websites where people post things about being pregnant an IVF this and IVF that there's always that one person yeah. who has bled so you think well actually I might be the second person mm. and so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an optimist by nature but I have to say on that one I wasn't at all optimistic but and that was a particularly difficult one because you had the professionals in the EPU telling you mm. one thing yes. you thinking another you obviously just going through it and obviously hoping and, and praying and just been willing awful. it to be awful. And she looked, she, I don't think I've ever seen her look so poorly. She was just And you did white. say to me afterwards. You looked so poorly. And it's very, I, I understand where you're coming from because I know you so well. But what you did say to me afterwards is I'm glad this didn't last. Mm. Because you were so poorly I thought I was going to lose you. Mm. And, and I found that actually quite a hard thing for you to say to me mm. that you were glad that I'd had a miscarriage and I only heard that. So I think whatever you said, it wouldn't have been, right. wouldn't have been the right thing. And I want to no. make that very clear. There is no right thing because you're either going to break my heart on the day or you're going to break my heart by not breaking my heart. Yeah, that makes exactly. Sense. It's, a non, like, it's a no-win situation on that one. Absolutely. And that for a parent really is, is the hardest thing because you are constantly... You know, you, you uh, it's it's really hard, and and as Jen said earlier, when her dad died when she was only six, and your whole life just completely changed overnight, and it was a very it was a very sudden death, and all of a sudden I'd gone from depending on him for an awful lot to being oh my goodness I've got a six year old I've got a three year old, what on earth am I going to do how am I how am I going to do all this, and so that it was definitely the mom, mother hen clicking in and and always never never wanting them either of them to feel that they haven't done something because they haven't got a dad and I mean a lot of people I know don't have a mother or a father for whatever reason but for me I'd, I'd grown up in a family where we'd, I'd had a mum and a dad and I didn't want them to miss out and so for her not to have what she wanted and I'm not saying she was spoilt but for not, for, I couldn't give her what she wanted. You know, I couldn't save up the money and go and buy her a, I don't know, a new bicycle or whatever it she was she wanted. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't help her. I couldn't do anything, and that was really very hard for me. It's as like a, the first time in your life mom, I you've not been help. able to help me. Yeah, and, and you know, if if you'd said to me today, if you sat here now and you said, well, if you had your leg chopped off, um today but in nine months as a as a as a payback jenny will have a a healthy baby i'd say right let's go oh don't you i would i would because for me that's something that's it's a trade-off i could do to get her what she wants and, and I would do that. And I'd, as long oh, as no, I can, can you be all emotional now? You know, so I but I would do that oh. because it's from it's what 
what I would, it's what mums or dads, well, not all mums or dads, but it's what you would do. You would, you'd do anything to, to, to give your children something they want. And so really... Know, whatever it is, whether when, it was a bicycle or, or whatever it is, you'll do your best. When you've been in this position, listening to you now, I feel quite emotional saying this now, but when I've almost, and I think, actually, I've probably blamed you a little bit for not forewarning me and not preparing me and... What you've actually tried to do is give me the gift of of of, of protection mm. and actually trying to protect, protect me you from, from the bad things. The bad things, yeah. which is, I guess, the default of what you've been doing throughout my life is trying mm. to protect me from anything bad and trying to go look at anything's possible. And so, actually, where I've gone, but you just ran away from a situation and you didn't want to be awkward. Actually, you just didn't want to cause me any pain and you were going you're through enough to, you yeah. were going, that lying on the sofa in your sitting room looking as white as a sheet I couldn't inflict anything else on you you were going through enough without me who you were looking to at that stage For protection be, at that stage we'd got beyond the what's all IVF all about and we we were quite close and you were talking to me about what was was going on and and Every time you, you did something, what you took, where you were at with your meds or whatever, you went to the clinic, you, you always updated me in, on the way, in the car on the way home. So I was all up together with it. But for me to then burst in another bubble by saying, I don't think this is great, I just couldn't do that. I couldn't mm. do that to you. I had to, I was, pre- yes, I suppose I was trying to protect you from even more grief, more sadness, more think sorrow. I never really understood that. And, and I think we were saying yesterday that actually IVF has made me quite self-centred. Not in an intentional way, but just that it's all been about me and how it affects me and woe is me and, oh, you know, my friends are being affected by me. And actually, you saying that, I kind of go, gosh, I, I felt quite upset initially in this conversation just hearing you say, well, yeah, I knew, but I didn't tell you because I wanted to protect myself kind of thing. But actually, what I'm learning in this chat is actually it's because you couldn't bear to cause me any more pain Mm, so when I'm saying to you tell me tell me tell me why didn't you tell me you're just going I can't be the person who causes you any more pain I Mm. want to be the person that takes it all away Mm. and I don't think which is what I've I've done or tried to do forever Mm. um to do that but I mean if you like it's like the dropping a stone into a mill pond you drop the stone into the middle and then you've got the ripples around the outside mm-hmm. around it and so you've got your stone is ivf and that's the first thing that gets dropped into the, the mill pond and the, on the first ripple there's 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 you and mr r and on the second ripple it's his parents and, oh, it's and actually crawford and scatterfirst it's the cat and the dog it's the two cats okay the two cats. <laughs> um, but then on the next ripple out it's it's your parents, yeah. Not just your your parents, both sets. but both sets of parents. And then the next ripple out is is the siblings, and then the next ripple out is the friends. And the further out it gets, the more difficult it is for that first ripple to, to communicate. Mm. And it's hard for you to communicate with your parents. It's more dif- probably more. Di- I don't know. If it's more difficult to communicate with your siblings. I don't know. Uh, but then your friends and and, and the wider family and. You just think of you. You're the one. Mm. You're actually not even the IVF in the middle. It's you that's in the middle. It's not the IVF that's in the middle. Yeah. So I think it's something that you probably don't cotton on to so much as 
a parent would. No, because you're in the middle of it. You're right in the middle of it and you don't think of anybody else. I think you're unable sometimes to look out and especially to empathise with other people's feelings about the situation you're finding yourself mm. in. And I think we, I had this conversation when I did my very first podcast episode last year, almost exactly a year ago, when I launched my What Not To Say campaign. And we were saying, Oh, I've done that. I've said everything I'm not supposed to yeah, say. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely. What I wanted to do with that podcast was to try and remind everyone in it that as, as maddening and, and as incredibly frustrating as it is to hear those comments, which I campaigned to try and educate people not to say, I also want people to also talk about this side of it, about mm. how difficult it is. I mean, how on earth do you know yeah. what not to say? When you, well, exactly, you know. and I, th- I think to go on to that one, it's, it's quite interesting, because I'm now telling people what not to say. <laughs> you're that's great! Yeah. That's I, I'm now telling people, because, so yeah, because that's great. It, it's the, the, the usual thing is, what, can you adopt? Um, yeah, yeah. Can you have donor eggs? Um, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, because we don't know. We... we I honestly, other than Jen, I don't know anybody who's had IVF. Um, and miscarriages even. Um, I, I'm my cousin, my sister-in-law. The girl who was my bridesmaid on both of my marriages, she had a miscarriage and in between her two boys. Now, I'm, I'm godmother to both of the boys. I didn't even know she had a miscarriage. Until she, I had one. Until till Jenny. And she said, well, well I had one. I went, you're my best mate, how did I not know? Well, I shouldn't think it was that important. You know, it, 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 to me, to tell people, it, it, it wasn't important. I'm like, oh, all right. And, and since I've been more open with people about uh, how Jen, and people ask me, how is she getting on? Is, you know, how's the treatment? Is it NHS doing whatever, whatever? A number of people have said, oh, well, I've had a miscarriage. And I'm, well, I, I'm, I'm like, cracky, you know, all these people that are coming out of the woodwork and saying things that they probably never told, well, never told them, never had need to tell me, I suppose, but finding out. It's, we're in a bit of a, a, a kind of revelation period yeah. mm. because we no, we haven't really been talking about this until no. very recently. You know, literally, I think within the last few years, there's been a massive, right, do you know what? Can we just talk about it, please? Mm. And my mum would say exactly the same, mm. you, know, you know, when I started doing all of this and we had a lot of chats and she was like, you just didn't. You just didn't say. You know. You no. You didn't. So and so and so and so can't have children. And that, well, that, that was, was it. it. Yeah. That was absolutely. It. Yeah. Absolutely. That was the attitude. I think that your generation. Mm. You don't talk about miscarriage. You don't talk about loss. It's not a priority. It doesn't really exist. IVF when you were my age was like. Oh no, well my age, I'm very old now, but... Well, it was fairly new. I mean, still. Louise Brown's just 40. We kind of expect you as our parents to have the same mental processing and the same ability to understand that we do. No, but well, we've we been brought up in a completely different world. You're the post-war... No, she's not that old, but... <laughs> I am. I'm 66 <laughs> in two days' time. Yeah, so it's like po- you're <laughs> yeah. the post-war generation, and I think you have different morals, different beliefs, different everything. And we're kind of expecting you guys to fast-forward rapidly mm. to understand us in, well, in our mentality see, towards this the whole thing about the adoption was when i was growing up if you couldn't have children you adopted and there was just so many children babies to be adopted mm. which i don't think there are now because it's a very different process it's a different though, process and the people mm. can have benefits from the government to help them to bring up their children that they just weren't there when i was growing up yeah. You guys can't keep up. You know, we can't. We just can't keep up. And you, no. you look back in another. If you look back in another 40, 30, 40 years, at the progress 
that will have been made in, in everything. I mean, IVF probably will be something you go and like having your tonsils out. It'll be so, it'll be so, such a good science. Mm. You won't be having these conversations. I, I don't know. I could be, I hope I'm right. I hope you're right too. I do. I do. What happened after that, Jen? Can you just talk us through? So after the miscarriage, uh, I was in a very bad place with my mental health, which I have spoken about. And I, again, I used to be mortified to even vaguely admit I was struggling. Um, but after my miscarriage, I was in such a place where I barely left the house. I barely socialised, apart from with you and with my husband. Maybe a few people in my village would have seen me, but on the whole, I'd spoken to nobody apart from medical professionals and my two, three closest family members. Well, you didn't even go back to work, did you? No, and I was signed off from work because of my, my miscarriage and my physical health and mental health. And I was really in a point where I just thought, I don't see a way out of this. I, I just can't be bothered. I don't want to go and talk to people again. I don't want people to know how sad I am. And I got to the point where I was so broken that I just thought, I can't pretend anymore. And um, I just sort of shut myself away because I could no longer present the I'm fine persona that, you know, people knew and believed was the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I think I suddenly went, I can't pretend. And I was lost for a while. And I came down here a lot and we walked down by the beach a lot, mm. which is my kind of my safe space. And we talked things through a bit, didn't we? And and you were worried for me, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course. And and I think you, we knew how worried everyone was when my stepdad came for one of these walks. He's never walked a day in no, forty years. But <laughs> no, his feet are for pushing pedals on the car. They're not for walking. <laughs> but he came for an hour long walk and didn't once complain. So we thought at that point, I just went, gosh, they are really worried. Um, and in a way, that was genuinely the wake up call. I thought, gosh, if he is coming out for a walk and he's not complaining there's a problem here and so I went to see the doctor um who obviously I'd been to see because of the miscarriage and not being well um and she said how are you Jen and I went oh, I'm fine and she just looked at me and gave me about it was probably only 10 seconds but it felt like 10 minutes and then I I cracked and it was like undoing a, a floodgate and this I could not control my tears luckily I was in a doctor's surgery and she she said, was good though, wasn't she? she? She still supports me now and I still have appointments with her actually. But you see, she could have gone through the same thing, but you don't know. Yeah, exactly. You don't know. Um, but she, she said, look, if you'd come in here and said, I'm not coping, I'd have been more inclined to believe you. But you came in here and said, I'm fine. And I was like, oh, no, you're not. But if she'd not kind of pushed me to break that I'm fine wall... I think I would have continued and just got worse and worse and worse. But as it was, she put me on a, a mild dose of an anti-anxiety tablet just to manage, I think, just the, the sheer amount of progesterone I've been putting into my body because every single day for the whole of my pregnancy, you're getting all this artificial hormone put in, plus whatever your body naturally is producing or isn't producing, plus obviously then the sadness of the loss and the way that it happened and the illness. And, and I didn't like it. I didn't like that I was on anti-anxiety medication. Gosh, I was not going to tell anyone this and I was going to go back to work and very gung-ho. I won't go into the details about my back-to-work meeting, but let's just say it didn't go well. I was asked not to come back until after my final round of IVF because they didn't want the same to happen again. It was then a long and convoluted story. I'm now no longer working in this place, partly because of that one meeting that made me realise um, it wasn't necessarily the right place for me to be. 
Um, I went back to the doctor then and just said, look, this meeting happened and it's thrown me. And she went, well, that's because you're not actually very well still. Let me manage you better on this medication. And I said, oh, haven't actually taken it because I don't like to feel that I'm dependent on medication. And she went, all this does is puts right the balance in your brain of the happy hormone. That's all it is. This is nothing evil. This is nothing controlling. This is just... Where's that happy level gone? You never told me you hadn't taken those tablets, you naughty person. Well, because I didn't want you to think that I <gasps> there you are, you wasn't see, protecting me. Well, yeah, in essence. See, so yeah. you're doing the same to me as I've been doing to you. Yeah, it's the I'm fine barrier because yeah. you don't live down the road. It's a you know three-hour round trip minimum for you to come and see me for a day. But that's okay. It is, but I didn't want you to feel you had to. So, eventually I went back on the anti-anxiety tablets. Trip? I then um, did my final round of IVF and had exactly the same with a seven-day bleed. Um, so halfway through a two-week wait again. And I went back to work the next day and worked a week and then it was Easter holidays because I'm a teacher. So <laughs> I kind of had then three weeks to go, ugh. Um, wasn't as bad because I think I was on the medication. And I'd started seeing my miscarriage counsellor who is from a charity um, in Gloucester and you just pay what you can afford. So I've just set up an ongoing standing order to them because I swear she saved and changed my life. She was very good. And after I'd spoke to her, she made me go there with the whole like, tell me about your mum. I was like, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> and you're getting, you're getting a little modern snapshot of this, but we went right back. And then I tried to be very honest with mm. you. Um, so I would feed back after my sessions to you. Mm. How did you feel about me being so... I was just, honest. I thought she was brilliant. I, and for me, the sad thing was that you'd had to wait so long, mm. which meant that there were lots of other people in your situation who were using her time. Mm. And that you, sh when something traumatic happens like a miscarriage, whether it's through IVF or it's just a natural miscarriage, you don't want to have to wait three, four months, however long it was. You, you need somebody tomorrow. Or, or maybe not tomorrow, but you need a little time for yourself. But then you need help quicker than you got it, I think. Mm. And I just thought you were so much better when you had your counselling. Mm. But I used, to, I used it. to try and be very honest then. So instead of just saying to mum, oh yeah, I'm fine, counselling was fine. I would say to you things like, it really upsets me when I phone you and you say, can I call you back? I'm just busy with the builder. Or can I phone you back? i am just got a call on the other line. And I was like... A bit like you just said, mm. I needed you now. I don't mm. need you in five minutes when you've spoken to the builder. Mm. But you had no idea because I'd never actually, in the whole no. 20 odd years that no, I've been phoning you, to, ever told you that. To be fair, you then said, and I said, well, I didn't, I, you know, I, I didn't know that. And you said, well, okay, let's leave it like this then. That if I call and you're busy and I say to you, I need to talk to you now, you'll talk to me. I said, yes, of course I will. Yeah. I, and I will just stop what I'm doing because there's nothing more important. Yeah. And, and I didn't know that. And I think that's, that's again, me coming out of myself and mm. going like, how is my mum meant to know how much I need her? How does she know I'm not just phoning to say, oh, I just saw a pigeon land on the roof, you know? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it's like a really mundane thing. Sometimes I was phoning her because I thought if I didn't speak to her right there and then, my world would crumble for whatever reason. Um, but you don't know that because I've never no. let you see that. And I that. suppose for me as well, I deal with things differently from you and the age that you were I'd been widowed for three years my more than that yeah four years yeah years. three four yeah. years and so you know I'd got a what would it have been ten a ten year old and a seven year old and yeah. I suppose you know when 
at that stage. But I, again, you was, only had you to think about. It's not the, the generational whole, you know, thing, I guess. Yes, well. but I, I am the one who pe- people in the family come and want. They want bailing out. They always come mm. to me. I used to think that was me, by the way. So to go back to the whole, like, are we alike? I used to think I was the go-to person. And once I started having this counselling, I spoke to my friends and I said, look, I'm so sorry that I, I'm not... They're like, no, we never thought you were the go-to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> so I probably have this perception of myself as the coper and the capable. And they're like, oh no, no, you're fun to sit and drink a pint of cider with. And obviously if we had a problem, you'd talk it through. You're very empathetic, but you're not the solver. No, no, we've got other friends who do that. And how how yes, but that make you feel? I was almost relieved. Yeah. I think because it was like... This is now me. And I love the quote that says she was brave, she was strong, she was broken all at once. And I thought, I've basically come out (laughs) in the last few months, mainly through my Instagram account, to these people who are my bridesmaids, these are my my people, my family. And they haven't gone, whoa. They've all gone, yeah, that's okay. We're here, just tell us. And that was the thing though as well, that that I think with the counsellor, I'm sure it was must have been she who said you need to tell people how you feel. So I your best one of your best friends you went to and they were you just sort of cried together and she was so relieved we started trying to get pregnant around the same time and she caught within a month so she felt quite awkward at first but because I still wasn't in the IVF world it was just like oh it'll just take a bit of a while but then after she had the baby and it became apparent it just got awkward between us and I've spoken to her about this and I've said to how grateful I am because she sat there and said, I didn't know what to say. I thought if I brought my baby, it would make it awkward. I didn't want to upset you. So I just left you. And I was like, but you leaving me was the last thing I wanted. And we both sat there over brunch and cried. <laughs> I mean, but I can knows. remember when, when her baby was born and I said, oh, have you been up to see the baby? You went, well, I'm supposed to be going tomorrow. So the next day I went, well, what was it? I didn't go. No. Well, why didn't you go? I just couldn't face it. Now you, don't, you owned up to me on that one, but not to your friends. No, because I wasn't quite ready to, but now no. they know everything, and it's so much easier, and you know. Yeah. But this well, is I'm also, you know, that's really interesting, because you, you couldn't at that point say to your friend, I can't go there, but you, she had I knew. I knew that. So that's such a yeah. brilliant, you know, ab- an advocate for kind of drawing your parents into mm. what's going on mm. for you, because sometimes you just you just can't, say something to your friend but you you can say whatever you need to say to your parents yes and I think that's the key you need to say something to them because I went through it expecting my mum to know what to say like osmosis I'm supposed to absorb this information across the ether you know know? I I will I will go there with this one it's slightly controversial even now um my brother and his wife are expecting a baby the end of November mum knew and didn't give me a heads up I got a phone call out of the blue from my brother, and if he ever listens to this, like I'm really over it now, but I just felt like I was going to be sick. I'd never been more shocked and hurt by any news, but only after I found out that mum knew. And again, it goes back to the whole... Yes, but that was... Uh, we were told on, on a Wednesday, and we went out for a meal, and we just arrived at the restaurant when they told us. And I said, oh, about Jen. Oh, I'm going to phone her now. I'm going to phone her now. So that's fine. So I just assumed you would have known. But you didn't say anything the next day. And I, I said to my husband, I don't think she knows. Um, I don't know what to do. It's not my news to give. But do I let her know so she can get used to the idea? But either way, it's not my news to give. And I think in a way, chickening out a little bit, mm. not wanting to be the bearer of what was not bad news, 
for, for, for the family, but, but for Jenny, it, it, it was bad news. And so the Thursday, um, you were, I said, said to my son, don't ring a Thursday evening because you were going to your fertility network mm-hmm. um, group down in Wales. And I thought, being in the motorway is not the best time to receive <laughs> this news. And then coming back, it was late, so it was too late. And then I said, I know Friday evening she's going out, but to be going out around about six, try then. And I just assumed that he had. And then on the Saturday, I didn't hear a thing. Saturday I was in Waitrose and we spoke in Wait- whilst I was in Waitrose and you didn't say anything. I was like, has your brother spoken to you? Because he'd just come back from a uh, holiday. No, no, no. And I thought, why? every time I'd spoken to her, I kept mm. saying, has your brother spoken? And I thought maybe she might be thinking something odd about this. And then on the Saturday night, I got the most awful, awful tirade of... Bad language, shouting, yelling, screaming, Can I, can I just clarify though, halfway through this tirade, she goes, hang on a minute, wait a sec, calls my stepdad, there's, there's, a, there's a bird on the bird table, come and see. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean at this point, I but that was, that it, was, it does turn out it wasn't actually a bird, it was a rat. It was so, a rat, so, <laughs> but that's, I didn't want her but, to know. But, but it but, is that whole but misunderstanding, it was, miscommunication. It was, I, honest, and I thought to myself, husband obviously is not at home because he would not have allowed this, which he wouldn't. Oh, he was at home, but I was in the kitchen. And um, if he'd heard her, he'd have he'd have gone. He would have gone yeah. for you at that one. Really? But, oh, he wouldn't. He would not. I don't think he'd have let you. I speak don't think he'd let me. me use the f word to my mother, and I would never normally because no. I get a clout around the ears. Even now, wouldn't I? Well, <laughs> Figuratively, yes, but the, the, yeah. the, it was just. I, mean, I was I put heartbroken. The, I put the phone down and I was. Did that really happen? I was just mm. speechless, and it's that's anybody who knows me would know that doesn't often happen. But it was so hard. And how did you feel at that point? I felt, and I said this to Jenny afterwards, and she she, she was still shouting at that stage. When I said, if I told you the news. It's not my news to give. So from my son's point of view, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have told her. Because I can remember when I was pregnant, I told the parents. Well, we told the parents. So had I given his news to her, it would have been wrong. You'd have upset him. I would have upset him. But if I didn't tell her, I'd have upset her. So to me, I was between the rock and the hard place, one of which was my son, one of which was my daughter. Whatever I did was wrong. And knowing how what you know now about how it made Jen feel, what, would you do the same thing again, or would you would you kind of That's make a an great question? Go on, then, Mum. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this ahead of this, or it's so hard. Mm. Well, I think I would, without hesitation, say I would tell her because in my heart of hearts, that's what I wanted to do. Because to me, to tell her that. He, his, my daughter-in-law was pregnant, knowing the difficulty she's gone through, and he's the younger brother, he's the younger of the two. Am I allowed to say the nickname? Yeah. Cool. We, we call him Golden Balls, because he is basically <laughs> can do no wrong. It's, it's definitely not true. It's very, very it's not completely true. completely untrue. Absolutely not but true But it's always been the ongoing joke that David yeah. is the favourite. But he isn't. Ever. He isn't. That's the thing. She he really like isn't. He, isn't. he really isn't. I mean, the day you but got married, moment, for instance, that day you weren't <laughs> the favourite. But, but um, Jen's also said, you know, my brother's always your favourite. But this is not true. But 
you want to tell you want to do the, the right thing wouldn't have been the right thing whichever I'd done mm. um yes I want to protect her by look I suppose I need to tell you this you know your sister-in-law's pregnant and then I would have had the flack but I got the flack anyway and I probably got it worse by not telling her. It was the whole not telling me. And I think it was the realisation that my family had sat around the table debating over how to tell me. Whereas if I had a baby of my own, they'd have put me on loudspeaker and gone, oh my God, you're going to get a cousin. And, and I think like that moment... It was protecting you though. It was, it was trying it to was protect like you from the It was the most inevitable. misguided protection I've ever felt. I think in my life, especially with all the IVF, I've never felt more misunderstood. And then the final bit, and then I will leave you alone, I promise, is when we were driving up to Yorkshire. So again, on the motorway, driving at 70, there was talk about the baby. And, and you, you said to me, I'm worried you're going to reject her. And I burst into tears, didn't mm. I? Mm. Do you want to just kind of... Because I think actually a lot of us, maybe our parents feel like that. And they worry when there's... Well, I, I, yeah, because for me, you, you'd said... I'd said, well, you, you, the baby's due the end of November. Will you come down? No, I don't want to come at Christmas. Every other year, the kids are here. Every other year, they go to their respective in. You know, we, we take it in turn. And this this year, that nobody should have been here, but because the baby's only going to be about a month old, my daughter-in-law's parent lives is, is American, and so her parents would come over from the states because they wouldn't want to go over with a small baby. So everybody's coming to us for Christmas. Well. Jen and Mr. R will be going to his parents for Christmas, which was what was scheduled. Um, but they would always come up on Boxing Day or the day after. Um, I got, well, we won't be coming Boxing Day this year because of the baby. Okay, fine. And, and I'm in a difficult position because all of a sudden I'm going to be a grandma, which I wasn't actually expecting to be. Partly, well, not, not at the moment anyway. Um, you know, knowing Jenny's having problems and my son's never really, he's never announced that he was going to have lots and lots of children or, or, or I didn't know there was going to be, and why should I? It's not my business. But from my perspective, that was really quite hard um, because although I, I understand, well, I obviously didn't understand and don't really understand, I, I want my family to be welcoming the the new member of the family and I just got this awful feeling that it's not welcome and and I can't come possibly come and see this baby um when it's first born I never go and see any of my friends babies till they're at least six weeks old and I'm thinking that's really that's one thing when it's your parent when it's your friend but this is your brother and this is your niece who's coming into the world why don't you want to go and see? And I, uh, for me, part of me understands why you don't want to go and see this baby when it's newly born and, and not necessarily in the hospital, but when, when she's at home. And they don't keep you in hospital long these days anyway because that's going to be a baby that you may never have the pleasure of holding as a, as a tiny newly born baby. But the other part of me says, but it's your niece. And, and but it's also just a baby. I'm not a baby person. But, like but, I'm really. But I'd my, love a child. But if I could just fast forward three or four years, you know, you know, my, my, I don't go giddy over babies. Someone hands me a baby. I'm like, uh, lovely. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm bouncy, bouncy. I actually think that is actually quite a misconception for people who can't have, who are struggling to have children, is that they just, you know, are obsessive over babies. And actually, it's it's. Not I don't want to hold your baby that. because I'm not really confident they're not going to drop it. Yeah, or... no, just as, yeah, exactly, just as an aside. But, then, like it's, but, but yeah. to go back to this point, that is so tricky, isn't it? It's really hard. And when my, my brother's second child was born, he was born at about 27 weeks and he was literally a bag of sugar he was a kilo when he was born and bless him he looked just like et um but the first thing i had to do was to drive to bristol i had to go and see dan i had to go and see his baby even you know he he may not have survived i mean he did and he's a strapping six foot three very very bright very healthy individual but that for me was the i've got to go and see him you know he, he may not live i've got i've got to go and see my nephew and for the flip of for my child not to want to go and see her, well, as we now know, niece, I found that, I, I, I find that quite hard. I think you still find it hard, don't you, that I'm very much like, you know, at six weeks or so, but that's when they become a little bit more interesting as well. But then what, do you not think your brother might think it's odd? He's very welcome to bring the baby up to my house if he wants to. He's very But why won't you come welcome. here at Christmas? Why, why would that um, be difficult? I think... Because that will be four weeks. I think because it doesn't feel like my place. I think because... My sister-in-law's parents are going to be here, so it's four grandparents, or three and a half if you count my stepdad and his slight right. reluctance to be dragged it's into all right. the It's alright, he'll take his hearing now. aids out and find something busy to do in the but workshop. But it feels very much like this is this is not my Christmas. I, but it, I feel... I but even if... I mean, what... It's, I, no, I appreciate it. It's very hard, but I think the fact that there are four grandparents there, there's the natural hierarchy then of my brother and his wife and the baby, and I feel like this is about the baby this Christmas. If I come... No, I would think it'd be more I, like next year. I know year there will be, be conversations more. about how I'm going to feel. Should we, should we pass Jen the baby? Will she want to hold the baby? Like, if, if Jen isn't constantly around the baby, I feel it's very much going to take the attention away from what's actually baby's first Christmas, which I think is a very special event. And I, I know, because of how the dynamic has worked in the last few months with our family, that I will be scrutinised, rightly or wrongly, intentionally or unintentionally. But then, do you not think the best thing is that we have a... An open discussion. I like, feel I rather need than to... you staying away and and avoiding the situation, which is kind of what you're saying you're doing. Mm-hmm. Do you not think we we would be better to sit down and say, well, what do you think? I'm not quite there yet. So, as much as I agree, we kind of the right thing to do, if you excuse the phrase, the right thing is to sit down and talk it through and be very open about this. I feel like it's enough that I've said to you, I'm not comfortable being there. And I feel I've been quite brave to say to you, I'm not ready for this. This is, this is a step too far for me. I'm very happy and I will see the baby. I will adore that baby beyond words, you know, but it's baby's first Christmas and I don't want the dynamic to be at all on edge. And I think there will be no way that all of us will relax. Gavin will be worried about me. You will be worried about me. My brother, his wife, you'll all be worrying about me. And that's not what Christmas is about. It's not, it's not meant to be like, oh, Jen's coming in, Look, quick. And I just, it's as much for me as it is for well, everybody else. Well, I suppose else. what we do is we just play it by ear. And if exactly. you feel on the day you want to just whiz up and down for a day, then that's or an hour do. or two, you and do. And just to clarify, Mr. R is very keen to be here. He, he thinks Well, he loves weird. Christmas. <laughs> so we I have think, a very I big Christmas tree and he loves Christmas. What we do tend to do, Jen, when we're in the situation that you're currently in, is that we probably think 
so far ahead and overthinking put it. things in our mind about mm. how things are going yes. to be and that is something which is really difficult not to do but if you think about, we're still in August now actually mm. and if you think how far you might have come already through unraveling lots of things and mm. working through lots of things you think you've got September October November pretty much all of December yes, you're right, you actually. might be in a completely yeah. different headspace yeah. yeah. to how you feel about things now so yeah. maybe rather than go I'm not going to come. You go. Let's play it by ear. Yeah. yeah, and maybe yeah, I just keep the so keep the options dialogue. there and don't feel don't feel any pressure on you to come. But at the same time, don't forget who I am outside of my infertility because no. I think no. I think that sometimes parents get so caught up in it with you that you kind of forget the core of me. And yeah. and equally, I've got to stop putting it all back on you. If I don't tell you stuff, you're not going to know it. If you say the wrong thing and I don't tell you it's the wrong thing, you're not going to know it. So I think, obviously we've been talking for quite a while now, but I think just to wrap this up probably, if you're about ready to wrap it up, you poor thing and have a home to go to. But I think it's just, as, as the infertile side of this, I feel I very much expect everyone else to kind of dance around me and say the right thing to me and do the right thing for me. And actually, I think it has to go both ways. And if a parent hurts your feelings, you've got to tell them. If it makes an awkward conversation, it's better to have the awkward conversation than to just be upset and... Well, keep it inside. I mean, yeah. I have to say, we, we went up to York uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was just a, an overnight when you did the, the first, that fertility show. And we had the day in York on the, uh, the day after you'd done the, the show. And it was <laughs> such... We had such a really fun day. But... And... and because of the new baby into the family um jen was buying a few little bits and pieces and we went into one of the big well-known baby stores and i just thought to myself and i didn't say anything i don't think i said anything to you at the time but this must be absolutely killing for you to go into this shop be buying stuff for this new niece of yours seemingly quite cheerfully but you're looking at all of this baby stuff. And I thought, how can you do that? I, and I... Because I'm going to love her. Yeah. But I just thought Family. that has to be so difficult for you to do. It is, but we get through it. Well, we did get through it. Yeah. And, and I was... And I, by the end of the day, I was going, oh, this is quite... Well, that's quite <laughs> well, look at this. Because I actually felt the way that you had... You marched in there. Uh, and, and oh, you've got to get a change, Matt. You've got to get a change, Matt. And and so, you know, for that one, um, it was it was quite surprising. It was a quite interesting. A realization that you could actually do this. Mm. And I said to Jen, that, "Well, who am I going to talk to about this baby? Because at some point, I might get a little bit excited about it. And uh, and you're the only one I can actually talk to about it. And I think now I feel able to do that and and say, yeah. look." I've been, and this is what I've bought. I'm going to actually do some knitting, which my poor old arthritic hands, the consultant, will go mad if he knows I'm doing knitting, as he's told me not to do any. But I can't not knit a something for this granddaughter I'm having. Um, but it's nice, I feel now, that I'm confident to go shopping or to, to, to say, oh, there's a scan going on. Um, I won't bother sending you the picture of it unless you want to see it. Which I think probably two months ago I couldn't, I wouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't have done. 
even not maybe not even that long ago yeah so things change yeah. so quickly you have to yeah. break it down and you have to break down any relationship and any preconceptions in order to rebuild it and to be stronger as a family yeah and i think to for you to say actually i'm not going to be ready for this at christmas i think yeah okay i'll go along with that but we've always had such a great time I and mean, we'd love christmas we're a family that does christmas and we have like this enormous great Christmas tree that goes from the floor of the hall to the ceiling of the landing. And it's it's huge and we just love Christmas. We both of us like Christmas. Um, and even at your age, you're the Christmas tree fairy still, are We can edit this out, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but to not want to come at Christmas is, is... You were doing really well. It's just... Shush, shush now. It's just not right. Okay. Well, I might come and hang off the top of the tree. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. (laughs) Thank you so much to Jen and Eileen for your time, for your honesty, for your openness. And I do want to say a, a really, really special thank you to Jen at the moment. She is having a really difficult time right now. And I actually messaged her and I said, I was thinking of putting out this podcast with you and your your mum, but I I don't want to put anything out if, you know, if you're not feeling in the right headspace for that right now. And she just came straight back to me and said, do you know what, if anything, this will be a positive thing for me. And I just hope that by being as truthful and as honest and as real as I can, then I can bring comfort to somebody else. And that's what I want to leave you with, that that sort of selfless um, act really is where I think some of the life raft um, stuff can can be gleaned. So even when you're feeling, you know, as as bloody rubbish as Jen is feeling at the moment, um, uh, you know, and not that I'm saying everyone has to, you know, bear their soul, but there's probably something that you can do to to lift yourself up just a little bit. And I really hope that you can find it. And if you are looking for that something, then please do go to my website, thisisalicerose.com, where you can find my free meditation, my 10-day mindset course, and my blog with other bits and pieces there as well. And definitely follow me on social, which is This Is Alice Rose. I'm mainly active on Instagram. And I would really love it if you could leave me a rating or a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That would absolutely make my day. And a huge, huge thanks to everyone who has already left me a rating or a or review. If you don't know how to, then just drop me a DM and I'll explain <laughs> how to do it. I know a lot of people are like, how do we do it? Um, happy to happy to share so many many thanks for listening take really good care of yourselves and I will see you soon Fertility Life Raft is a Quid M Productions podcast mm-hmm.